You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. My guest today is Vicki Ziegler. Vicki is the founder and managing partner of Ziegler, Zemsky & Resnick, a law firm practicing divorce, real estate, and criminal law located in Livingston, New Jersey. Vicki is the ultimate boss lady. She's not just a lawyer, but she's a TV commentator, author, entrepreneur of numerous empires, including a candle company, fragrance, and a production company. Vicki shares her career path as an entrepreneur, which began with Vicki selling jewelry in high school, Find out her business philosophies and personal philosophies for a happy life. She also tells us what she would like to look back on in her life as an old lady. Vicki, I always start out with the same question. Where did you go to college and what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, all right. Great. Well, hi. Pleasure to be with you. This is fabulous. And any title with the word femme in it, I'm all about. So supporting females that are strong, that are kind-hearted, and that are go-getters is really the bane of my existence. So, so happy to be with you. Thank you. So where did I go to college? I went to the University of Rhode Island. I made it clear that I wasn't going far enough where my parents couldn't come in a car and get me, but far enough that they couldn't just kind of surprised me at the blink of a hat so kind of kind of thing so for Makes me sense. um i like new england i thought it was a cool place to go my best friend at the time said hey i got into uri make sure you apply and i was like cool i got in didn't even see the campus i'm like i'm going there it's it's all good so for me i had a great experience there i loved college i always knew what i wanted to do since i was nine years old because my parents went through a very acrimonious mm. difficult divorce and I was called to uh, chambers with a judge who had his black robe on at the time. And I said to him, if you don't give my parents 50-50 shared custody, which was unheard of at the time, make sure that I live within a three-mile radius of my current home and keep me in the same school system with my friends, one of my parents is going to leave the country. My parents are South African, and we didn't have very much family here. So I knew that if the judge didn't make it even and fair, we were going to have a major problem. And that's what the judge did. That's interesting that you had that level of maturity at nine. Yeah, I brokered my parents' divorce, the custody aspects of it, not the financial. Um, and I guess I was a little more mature than most kids. I don't know why. Just kind of was always around adults. And I think that it caused so much havoc in my life that I wanted to ensure that children and ultimately litigants didn't have such a difficult time going through that uh, experience as, as, as I call it, a horrible divorce. So I knew I was going to be a divorce attorney at that moment. You were involved in one of those divorces in your family that we always tell our clients not to be an example of. Exactly. Uh, my parents didn't know better. They probably weren't suited 
for each other when they were dating in, you know, teenagers in South Africa, but people get married for different reasons. They came to this country and they just weren't right. They're great humans. They're great people, just not great married people. So when you go through a difficult time as a child and you see a loveless relationship, it's really difficult, I think, to navigate your your life in relationships. So I decided to start brokering problem solving from a young age. And that's something that's really helped me in my career. Do you remember sitting down with the judge in that conversation? Like it was yesterday. Do, who was the judge? Do you remember? Yeah, he he passed away. And I always forget, I, I always forget his name. And it's going to come to me while we're talking. I know he had gray hair. He was he was in the 70s. Um, and he was not a very well liked judge. Uh, most people didn't like him. But what he did was listen to me. He heard me. It always fascinated me because my dad's attorney at the time that represented him is still practicing, and I see her all the time. And she always brings it up to me. You were a ballsy girl. You just went in there and said your piece. And I'll never forget that. So part of that kind of the fabric of that experience, I turned a negative into a positive and created the, you know my career. Um, and I have a book and a movie all about kind of the the spearhead and jump off of that scene with me and the judge and of course the, the name's still not coming to my name it, to my head but it will it reminds me of drew barrymore in irreconcilable differences one of my favorites uh-huh yeah very wow. similar but it's true and it is my life and it's it you know i think everybody has a story they have a childhood story and childhood wounds and then yeah. it's either you you heal them or you don't and you harp on them. And I think for me, it was always about healing and then figuring out how I could be of service to other people. Where did you go to law school? It was Quinnipiac Law School in Connecticut. Again, New England, same concept. And um, it was an amazing experience for me. I, I loved and was so afraid of law school at the same time. Uh, people always laugh. I always tell them I was very nervous to speak in public. Well, that's interesting that you wanted to go into divorce law where it's really litigation. I was sweating profusely every time I thought my name was going to be called. And I think for a whole host of reasons, a young woman, you know, not being self-assured at the time and kind of trying to navigate life. And I look back now and it's like I speak in front of thousands. I speak in front of millions on television. I love to be an orator and, and help people. And I'm I'm. I'm such a different person than I was in law school. But that's just right. The growth of life. Yeah. How long have you been practicing? I've been practicing for 22 years now. And I can't even believe when I say that, that it's that long because that yeah. makes me old. No, you're not old. <laughs> Older. And uh, but, you know, it's it's been such a labor of love. I love what I do. Um, it's just really it's been my calling. So what did you do then? What right out of law school? Did you work in private practice? I was a clerk for Judge Diamond in Passaic County. He was the lead uh, family uh, judge. At the time, I was lucky and blessed enough to get a job with him as a law clerk. And he taught me so much. He was and is one of you know, my uh, biggest mentors that I've had in the beginning of my career. And it really taught me as a law clerk what to do, what not to do as an up-and-coming attorney, you know, learning the rules, working really hard. We would work all day through lunch. I'd get in at 730. We'd work late. And we really were dedicated to helping litigants. So um, the judge taught me so many amazing things. His moral compass is so intact. So I was really lucky to get that opportunity. 
Going back to your childhood when your parents were getting divorced, was, it wasn't as common then? Did you have other friends that were experiencing that too, or did you kind of feel a little isolated? Oh, I was isolated alone. No one else really understood what I was going through. And as an only child in a country where we didn't have much family, it was me and the cat pretty much, you know. <laughs> I really didn't have anyone to talk to other than a therapist, yeah. which was mandated uh, by the court system. And I think it was a great resource for me even though I don't think the therapist actually was a very good therapist it gave me an opportunity and a safe forum to talk about my feelings which really helped me understand my clients and also you know personal growth so then what did you do right out of your clerkship so I said all right well I got to go to the best lawyer I know and figure out who's going to take me and I was lucky enough to get a few opportunities and few off job offers and I took the one that I thought would the lawyer that would teach me the most and he wound up to be one of my my second biggest mentor Bobby Penza who I worked for and with for 11 years and I worked so hard to become the youngest female partner at my prior firm and you know wanted to make him happy and all the clients did you do that were you the youngest female partner I was and then I left and started uh Ziegler Zemsky and Resnick and we're in our seventh year actually as we speak our seven year anniversary congratulations thank you did you know always that you wanted to eventually have your own practice no but Bobby Penza told me you're gonna be kind of the next big thing and I used to say, I don't even know what that means. I'm just a lawyer. I'm a girl from Jersey trying to do my thing, help people. And he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And when I decided, the reason I really decided to start my own firm was because I got a TV show. And I couldn't kind of manage the, the workload at a big firm and be traveling all over the country. So I made a conscious decision, which was a pretty, pretty trepidatious one to leave start my own firm with another attorney and uh, my paralegal that was with me at the prior firm and do my tv show with bravo and it was kind of sink or swim figure it out and see what happens so how did the tv show come about well um huh, it was a long time ago 2005 actually i was at a party and a guy from Fox News was there and said, you know, you, you should be on TV. I think you'd be great. And I kept saying, listen, I'm not interested. I'm dating. I am, you know, I just thought he was trying to get yeah. my number. Um, but he wasn't actually. He was he was a booker. And um, I said, all right, I bet you a hundred bucks. You never call me. Here's my card. The next day, Britney Spears shaved her head and Bill O'Reilly oh. needed a guest. And he said, you ready to come on? And I just said, sure. I had no idea what I was doing. I was so nervous and I just went for it. And I just got lucky and kind of enjoyed that that adrenaline rush that you get when you're on television. Um, and most of my TV career has always been live. This actually was taped, but I just didn't even understand that concept at the time. I thought I just had one shot and that was it, which you normally do. Yeah. And then they just started calling me and I started to get more comfortable. I was debating any legal issue not family law related that would come my way and I just got more uh, I guess comfortable and courageous talking in front of millions of people and debating and figuring out who I was what was my voice on television 
And then years and years and years and years later, I got picked up on a show talking about Kim Kardashian's um, divorce, you know, that 70. Which one? 72 hour, <laughs> you know, to um, the basketball player. Um, and I forgot his yeah, name. Yeah, I know, right? Everyone forgot. Um, so anyway, I was just kind of talking to Dr. Drew about it on uh, HLN, CNN, Sister Station. And then the Kardashian show put my clip on their show on my birthday. And I just got started getting calls from Hollywood and just people, production companies saying, you know, we want to do a show with you. And I just said, okay, cool. Let's try it out. You know, I never really take anything too seriously, but it happened. And I was able to get two seasons on Bravo with my show called Untying the Knot. And we did so well and I was so proud of it and I worked so hard on it. And then it's just really given me opportunities and that have led to all different TV appearances. I've done over a thousand shows and have, have really met some amazing people in the industry. And I think I'm just trying to help people in the mediation setting and the divorce setting look at it a little differently, more of a positive perspective. Even though you became this TV star, you're still practicing law. Yeah, at the same at the same time, the law firm started booming. And part of it is being on TV and a presence, but I think most of it is just doing well for clients and getting referrals, right? I think it's always, hey, somebody did a great job, why don't you go to them? And then it started mushrooming. So I'm kind of a self-professed workaholic. So I would be filming all day and traveling the country during the, you know, uh, during the day. At night, I would be at the firm. I'd be drafting briefs, l looking at documents. Um, and I manage the firm as well. So I do that side and practice law. And just things just started booming. So I figured keep it going until you can't go anymore. I don't know how you have time for all of that. I also, by the way, I had a baby. I was pregnant <laughs> for six months when I was uh, for my second season. So I remember and I, you know, had some difficulty in the beginning and at the end. So that was really hard for me. But you know what? I think it's a positive mindset and perspective. I'm always looking at, at the glass half full. And I believe that you can do anything you want to. And, you know, mistakes aren't kind of tragedy their lessons learned so I just kind of like to get the best out of life and I, I want to go for everything that I possibly can I agree with that I think it's a great attitude to have <laughs> so you. it's interesting that you just kind of fell into being on television sort of accidentally because there's other people that work so hard to do it <laughs> and they never get there did you have to make a choice at some point in time which one you were going to focus more attention on because I have my own firm I don't even practice law anymore but when I was doing both I really believe that it's it's difficult to do both I I don't think you can really do both a hundred percent you need a lot of help I agree my parents always said dance at one wedding stop Vicky trying to dance at 10 and I was like yeah you know what I'm probably going to dance at 15 so I agree with you with respect to the fact that I had to step away from the TV appearances because what happened was after the second season, I just get started to get calls to do shows kind of weekly. So going on the Rachel Ray show and going on Dr. Oz and while they're amazing opportunities, you know, it takes four or five hours out of your day, even if you're doing a 10 minute clip, six minute clip, two minute clip, hair, makeup, travel. So I had to just stop on, you know, Fox and CNN. I just had to say, I'm not doing it anymore unless it's something, you know, super crazy or important um, and something that I want to do. So I started to really work on the firm. And I think that's where we started to see major growth. And I think we went from two lawyers to 15. We had three employees. Now we have 30. And that 
I think is a testament to everybody just working hard and me really saying I'm going to focus my energies. And then all of a sudden TV starts calling back again and there's opportunities and I don't ever like to say no to things. I'm learning that balance. So it's kind of now I'm back in the game of TV and trying to figure out what my next moves are. Did you get measurable referrals and clients from the TV work that you've done? People would be shocked and all my friends on television say the same thing. You you would think your phone would be ringing off the hook and it does ring, but it's a small percentage of the overall cases that you get. I have heard that before, and I always thought that that would be the reason you would do it, that people would see you and go, oh, my God, I need her to do my divorce. But it doesn't happen that way. Not all the time. And that is part of why I did it, to boost my firm and also because I enjoyed television. And, it, you know, I don't want it to seem like I didn't get referrals in business, but it's not the way. I think it's a 10 percent. 90 swing versus the opposite where people think just because you're on TV, people are going to actually Google you and look you up. People email you for other reasons. Their relative may need help. Can you give a free consult? We like what you're wearing. Are you single? I mean, I've heard a lot. I have gotten a lot of attention, different types of attention. Sometimes it's not such great attention, but it's not always related to a client. However, if I was watching a custody case or a Hague Convention case, I would sometimes get a referral because that was obviously a specific niche that they said, okay, wow, I liked what you were saying. It seems like you have knowledge. I want to go with you. And I had a lot of prenups because I did a segment on prenups from Untying the Knot. Um, a lot of that business does come from people that said they saw me on television. The Premarital Planner is one of my books and it has a whole chapter in it. And then I have a journal that I wrote, which is just kind of an emotional journey about getting financially and emotionally naked. And I think it's so important for people to have premarital discussions. I just think you get into a, a, a contract and a, and a relationship with people mm -hmm. and you don't even know the truth about them sometimes. You don't know everything about them, their wants, their goals. And I just, I impress upon people just to have those uncomfortable conversations. It will do them such a service in the future. I'm trying to help you and set yourself up to win your marriage, to be happy, because why do you walk down the aisle? Don't you want to be in love and don't you want to be happy? I mean, that's why I got married. You know, I, I feel like we're forgetting that and being in the love and the lust phase, that wears off. And then you have two people that have different experiences and things happening to them that you're not ready for. And you have to have your strong marital foundation set at the outset. And if you're not strong and the wind comes down, your house is blowing down and and crumbling. And I think that people need to take advice and information from people who have experienced the worst. I always say I think the real test of a relationship is how you resolve conflict, not whether you get along so great. A hundred percent. Conflict resolution is one of the paragraphs um, that I strongly focus on in my book. And you're a hundred percent right in that. It, it, it's not one. It's not about the happy times. It's about the difficult times. God forbid somebody passes away, you lose your job. How do you deal with the issues that arise that you're not prepared for? How do you bring each other up instead of right bring bringing each other down? And and how do you communicate? Do you know how to properly communicate? Because my parents just didn't talk, so I really had to learn on my own to have my voice and figure out how to stand up for myself when something wasn't feeling good. And I think. The problem with most people is that when it's uncomfortable, they run. And I'm the kind of person when it's uncomfortable, I'm I'm running towards the fire. And I think it's because 
I've had some tough times in life and I know that you can survive anything if you kind of put your best foot forward and, and try to resolve it. Something that I ask all of my guests is we talk about how they learn to run a business because my experience was at some point when I went solo and now I have a partner, I quickly realized I'm not just a lawyer that hung a shingle. This I'm running a business mm -hmm. and it's very different from practicing law. They're two completely separate jobs. When did you come to that realization and how did you figure it out? I think I'm still figuring it out. I don't think there's uh, a panacea for being a business owner. I think you can always improve. I think I, when I started selling jewelry in high school, kind of as a side gig, and I had the kind of my my notepad and then my bills, and I would go into the city to get wholesale jewelry and I would sell it. I think I realized I kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit, but just didn't know much about it. And then I always was financially oriented but didn't understand the relationship with money I like to shop I like to spend I didn't really know how to save so I think all of those experiences the bad ones having those big credit card bills and things that you purchased that you didn't need you just wanted yeah. you know we all went through that yeah and then I kind of woke up with law school loans and paid them down which was treacherous and you know really tough I said to myself all right the business is not just me now. It's other people. There's a paycheck that they rely on. So I need to figure out how to keep our costs down at the outset, have no debt, and figure out what's going to happen. I really mitigated our exposure for several years. That was really my goal. And everyone eats before I eat. And that helped me as I would build and, and add a new lawyer and add a new secretary or assistant. I always felt comfortable that I didn't have to go borrow money. I had enough money in the bank, and I, I'm the one that daily checks everything. Now we have an infrastructure. We have a, you know, a bookkeeper. We have uh, an account. We have all these kinds of people, but I still feel like I need to make sure that I'm running the business and looking at our expenses and how could we reduce them. And, you know, when you're an attorney— we we bill minutes right so every yeah. the only way we make money is to for us to capture our time and bill clients and knowing how many hours lawyers are supposed to bill making sure that they're accurate making sure that we're actually getting paid which is a big problem that all of the attorneys i know have and if anybody can lend some guidance as to how to fix your receivables um and reduce them please let me know maybe oh, you can tell me i could give you some tips Teach there, me. there's plenty of coaches out there i don't know if you've ever worked with a coach but there's there's plenty of coaches out there that have a lot of ideas about how to do it yeah, I mean, listen, I think that's part of the business. You know, when you're going through a divorce, adding an extra layer for the attorneys is difficult, especially if you don't have assets and you have debt um, and you have to sell your house and, you know, lawyers have to wait. And, you know, we're sensitive to that. It's just part of the business. So I think I just started to learn. I would research a lot. I would talk to experts and talk to other people, gather as much information as possible. And I ran with it. And the two partners you have now, you've had them since the beginning? Uh, Melissa... Melissa Zemsky started with me, yes. And then Steve Resnick has been with us for four years. Bobby Epstein with us for a year and uh, four months. And then we just made Ashley Manzi a partner in December. Okay. So we have a total of five of us. Um, but yes, I started the firm 
with Melissa. And you said you have 15 attorneys. So yes. you have 10 other associates? Um, yes. Yeah, so then we have a few are of counsel. We have one criminal attorney and one real okay. estate attorney. Okay. So you're not just divorce and family No, I law. like diversity. I think it's smart to have crossover uh, experts so that you can ask questions and that we have a real need. So our criminal department's growing and um, we have a real estate attorney, and the rest are all family lawyers. And I was talking to your receptionist out front, uh-huh. so the interview really started out there. <laughs> she said you had moved about three years ago? Yes, we were about two miles down the road next to Tuta Fresco, so we started in a smaller space. Okay, so you needed to expand. You yes. needed the space. Yes, yes. So what do you think? Are you going to have to expand again? Yes, yes, we are. Um, I've been considering breaking down the wall um, and trying to add some more offices. We've expanded twice since we've been here. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a big picture thinker, and I don't like to let the grass grow under my feet. And I just think that if you're smart um, and you make calculated decisions, you know what? Hopefully they'll work out. Now, you're still active doing TV gigs, and you mentioned something about a movie. We're going to get to that, because <laughs> that's awesome. And if you need an extra, I'm available. Done. So, <laughs> so you're the managing partner yes. here? So you're managing a business, you're practicing law, mm-hmm. and you're being a fabulous TV personality. Is that all, Are they all equally allocated? What are you doing more of? What's taking up your time? Not to mention you're a wife and a mom, right? Yeah. um, I do. And I do a couple other things. I have a production company now with TV and we do have a couple TV shows in the works. Um, And I have a candle brand and a new skincare line. But you're not selling jewelry anymore, though, right? No, no, no. I create now. I have a hair perfume in Macy's and uh, a bunch of other things. So I like to create products. But what I do is the firm is is really my love and I spend most of my time at the firm uh, really making sure that the clients are being uh, properly serviced and the firm is working smoothly and then the tv stuff is really kind of my evening weekend concept gig and I was just in California, so I went for 48 hours. I kind of try to do things very quickly and then D- come doesn't back. Doesn't it take like 24 hours <laughs> to get there? <laughs> it took six and a half on the way there and actually four and a half on the way back. But with the time difference, it was, but, you know, I got to work. I took a bunch of papers, you know, a bunch of documents that I reviewed and, you know, firm information. I always try to make the best of my time. And then, yeah, I have a four and a half year old, so I try to spend as much time as I can with her. And uh, yeah, and then you know what, whatever, you know, create a podcast at my law firm and keep figuring out how to help people and market and do charity work. And you know what, listen, we have one life and we better live it, live it well. I I really don't know how you do all this. I have to ask you what vitamins you're taking or something. You're taking something. Somebody just told me because of the coronavirus that I have to take colloidal silver and um, elderberry syrup. So I did just start that. But I have to be honest, I'm kind of. Anyone that knows me, I'm, I have a lot of energy. My mom has a lot of energy. My great-grandmother died at 105, still working. Wow. So, like, I just think it's in my blood. My daughter has it. Um, my husband does not have it. He <laughs> just thinks I'm totally wild. Is he a lawyer? No, absolutely not. Um, no, he's not, and he's very calm and kind of relaxed, and I'm not. Um, but I just think it's who, who I am, and I really I, I like my life, and I try to make it the best, and I just really I'm really me, and anyone that you can see, you can ask around like my receptionist has known me for a really long time I brought her over from my old firm and I just think as I get older I get a little wiser and I just haven't slowed down yet 
Well, it's you're an inspiration. I'm, <laughs> Are you tired talking to I'm me? I'm tired <laughs> now. I, I, I'm doing this podcast today, and then I'm <laughs> going home. So you're making me feel very much like lazy <gasps> no, right now. No, no, <laughs> no. This is a this is an amazing endeavor, and I think you should be so proud of yourself. I just thank you. I think everybody should stay in their own lane. And most people think I'm crazy. And all my friends that grew up with me, they're like, you know, I'm just tired after I talk to you. You just like. They don't get me sometimes, and it's cool, and it's okay to be married and and not work. I mean, God bless you. I think that's awesome. Um, my life is just my life, right? I can't yeah. I can't explain it. It's just yeah. really it's just who I am. Yeah. When when you said stay in your lane, I, it reminds me of uh, somebody had told Kim Kardashian that when she started to go to law school. Uh-huh. And she was very offended by that. But I know you meant that in a, a very oh, different mean, way. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to offend anybody. It's just I stay in my lane because I, I have some crazy lane and, and I have some vision about where I think I need to be and how I need to help people and, and what I need to do. But that doesn't mean it's the same for everybody. Yes, like you do you. Right. And yeah. I and it's OK to not understand me or it's OK to love me and, and respect me. Whatever the case may be, I learned a long time ago, opinions are none of my business. So you can have your opinion that's awesome i don't really need to fight or kind of try to prove that mine's better it means your lane is awesome and stay in your i'm not trying to be you absolutely you have a podcast our firm's doing a podcast i'm not here to compete with you you're kicking butt and taking names we just want to do a little podcast about law so that's that's really what i mean yeah oh yeah absolutely and i think that she she shouldn't have taken offense to that at at all i I think think maybe the way the person said it was sort of like you're a reality star don't go to law school like come on you know i think that was the way the person sort of meant it Mm -hmm. um but so oftentimes if i feel like you know am i really doing the most that i can do in a day because i think my days and i i think a lot of other people have this issue is you can fill your day up with so much stuff that you feel like you have to do but i think all of those things are not equal right like Mm -hmm. there's certain things you can do that really are gonna be productive and get you closer to a goal or move the needle on your firm or whatever the goal is and then there's other things are like are they really going to make a difference? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, the dishes. Like, does it really matter? Like, I'm not going to do that first, right? That's probably not the most important thing that I need to do. So you kind of have to figure out what can I do today that's really going to be the most productive. That's what I try to do. Because I feel like I can get busy, 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 right, right. but not necessarily accomplishing a lot. So I'll hmm. say to myself at night, like, I'm really tired. You know, I probably should edit one of my podcasts so I can get it out there. I'm so tired. I really just want to go to bed. And then I think, well, you know, what would Kris Jenner do? <laughs> she probably would edit it. So now I'm going to think, what would Vicky do? She probably would edit Listen, it. Listen, I get tired and the dishes are not a big deal to me. And they could pile up. Quite frankly, I could care less. Someone else better, you know, needs to kind of help me because I'm not perfect and I don't, I can't do everything. And then when I'm like exhausted, then I shut down. It's kind of the Energizer Bunny syndrome. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And w- what's important to everybody? I think also I'm trying to infuse a little more healthy lifestyle and getting the exercise and making sure I sleep more because I just don't you know I think I go to sleep and then after four hours I'm like oh my god yeah I was gonna ask you how many hours of sleep do you get because maybe that's what you cut out Uh or I could not live on four hours of sleep it's hard and you know the studies really demonstrate that you need to get at least seven to eight hours and they say you can't make it up on the weekends I do try I just think that my brain is always going. So when I wake up, I can't go back to sleep. 
So I'm, it's like, so I'm you just get up. I'm desperate to just be out. And then just my dog or my daughter, somebody wakes me up and then I'm up. So they, then I'm, you know, creating and writing a show or working on a case and drafting a motion. You know, yeah, it's just what I do. So what's a typical day for you? If there is a typical day? Yeah. I mean, you know, get up. Well, get up I mean, at four. Yeah, I'm up around four thirty today. This this morning was about four thirty. Um, and just start figuring out my day. I, there was a deposition. I was running in my mind <laughs> through the questions, and then help my daughter get up and get ready for school and hang out with the dog for a minute. Yeah, I try to be present because I think we're always rushing to the yeah. next thing and kind of really talk to her in the morning and, and get her jacked up for a great day. And um, and then it's come to the office, you know, unless there, there's an, a mediation or a court appearance and it's figure out what is on my to do list. And obviously on the way here, I'm doing that um, and trying to figure out what does the day look like? What can I get done? How much, you know, can I do? Are my family is my family OK? You know, whatever. Do I have to leave money for anybody that's coming to walk the dog or the cleaning lady or whatever? Because yeah. I have certain people that I, I think could do better, a better job than I can. I can't clean. I'm really not good at it. Um, and I just don't like it. So sometimes I think you have to figure that out. You're a out. busy lady. Yeah. And, you know, I read a book once and it said if you can afford certain things that you don't like, you should institute, you know, those people to help you keep your team together. I have a nanny and um, she helps me at the end of the day with my daughter to pick her up and get her to all of her um, activities safely. And I'm watching that the whole afternoon making sure everything's okay with her and then you know the work and the tv and i do radio interviews on the phone and i'll do whatever if i'm working on my candle brand i'm trying to figure out how you know what does the candle look like and sourcing the vessel and talking talking to my partner i mean it's just like a a, a mishmash of all the things that i do in the day and hey let's i'd like to eat so what am i eating right and then you know same thing i work on the way home come home hang out i like to cook so sometimes I cook during the week. Sometimes I order in and hang out with my daughter, and it's back to work. What about the gym? I haven't gone to the gym in, in five years, and it's annoying, and I don't feel the way I used <laughs> so to feel. So she cooks. She only needs four hours of sleep. She's gorgeous. No, She's on television. <laughs> No. What's wrong with you? No, I just need to work out. And I keep going. I want to walk into the Pilates studio and the kickboxing that's right on the corners of like where I live. And I keep every day I'm like, I'm going in and I just don't. So it's the one thing I haven't integrated and in getting back into yoga. And I used to be really fit and I'm not um, any longer. And I would like to to be. So that's kind of the one thing that I really need to get back. So goals 2020. They've been uh, since January 1st. <laughs> it's something I just, I'm mad at myself that I haven't gotten to, and I'm trying to be a little kinder to myself. It's not, yeah, I haven't gotten to it. Yeah, we need, we need to be kind to ourselves. I think women, we're pretty hard on ourselves when we don't reach a goal or, yeah. like like I said, when I'm late at night, when I'm like, I really want to go to mm -hmm. bed, but. I think, yeah, I think at this point in my life, I'm trying to give myself a pass. I have been very hard on myself and have expected myself to kind of get to every level and you know what who's doing that I'm doing it I'm creating it and it, it's you know life is great everything's good as long as you're healthy you hear these terrible stories yeah. about people getting sick and you know I think doing a lot of praying for people um, and, and really just trying to, to be a good person just kind of getting back to that old school like just be nice to people say hello you know 
give if you can. That that really moves me. That's something that I'm really, you know, fond of. And I try to to do the best that I can to kind of give back. So, you know what? Yeah, look, I'm not getting my to-do list done today. I wanted to spend time with you. And that was more important than, you know what, maybe the piles oh, of you. documents that I have to get you, done. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of paper you know, here. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And you know what? It's okay. It's cool. You know, I, you think you have to be okay with the fact that you that you may not get everything done. And I'm starting to loosen up in that regard because I feel like as I get older, my priorities are shifting. You know, I love work. I love, you know, being trying to be successful in my definition. But, you know, at the end of the day, your family, the people that you care about, that's really most important and the memories. And I think it's not cliche. It's something that I'm really realizing is important. Yeah, I think I am too. And you said something earlier about being more present. Mm. And that's something that I've really been trying to do probably for the past year, I would say, just being more mindful of that. I'm, I'm 44, so I kind of wish I'd figured that out sooner. But I'm trying to be more present no matter what I do. Well, most people don't figure it out, I think, in a lifetime. So I think you're ahead of the game. And I think my daughter saying, Mommy, put your phone down. Look yeah. at me. Pay attention yes. to me. I just I almost like fainted. I, yeah. I felt so bad. And you know what? Now it's like I don't use my phone. Now, of course, she wants my phone. But it's like, what are you and I going to do? We're going to color and we're going to focus and color in the lines. And as much as I want to go on my computer and do my work, it's like she's my job also. Right. I mean, I have an obligation to her. So she's taught me so much. And that's where it's like this weekend's going to be nice. All right. It's not about me because I am I do not put myself first. Perhaps you can tell that. It's park. Let's go eat. Let's create awesome memories. Let's, you know, teach me that, you know, tell me what you learned in school. And those little things that perhaps I didn't have growing up yeah. that I think are so important to pass down and, and to cherish. Because right at the end of the day, what do we have? Work? Uh, okay, great. You had a million clients. And okay, you helped a lot of people. That's cool. Who are the people around you? How yeah. did you love? And I think that's something that I'm learning. Yeah. There's some sort of uh, article floating around Facebook and, you know, in cyberspace that talks about the things that people think when they're on their deathbed. Mm -hmm. Not to get like all, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, depressing. God. In, but, in 70 years, maybe we'll figure that right? out. Oh, but it's not. Nobody ever says, I wish I had worked more or, you know, I'm sorry that I spent so much time with, you know, my friends or something like right. that. Like it really does come down to the people that were in your life and the people that you've spent time with and the, actually the people that you've allowed in your mm. universe, because that's something I've also been mindful of is who am I allowing in my space that probably isn't the best person to be in my space? You know, mm. are they draining me? Are they offering something positive? And I'm starting to be very careful about who I have in my universe. Wow, I just posted something. I'm on track with you. Um, I It just, it was a couple words. It said, smaller circle, more loyal. Yeah. And I used to be kind of, they called me the mayor, and I'd have so many friends, and I'd be so social and go out all the time. And then I realized, you know what? You don't have to be that person. You don't have to have a million friends. You have to have quality people in your life. And the ones that are draining and are toxic have to be let go. Yes. And, it, you know, it's it takes a lot. And it's hurtful, and it's a, it's a real process, especially as a female, I think, to lose a friend if somebody did you dirty or did something horrible to you. But standing up for yourself and being like, this is not working for me, you know, teaches yourself self-worth and everyone around you. Do you say that this isn't working for me, or do you just kind of just phase them out? Yeah, it's not. I think saying, I think coming out and being like, oh, this is not working, I don't, I think that's awkward. I think that it 
they get phased out or something happens where it's mm-hmm. now kind of it's yeah. over and you know what i think we just need to part and and that's a really tough subject and it's a tough thing to go through i'm not comfortable yeah with it i just but yeah but you realize when someone's out of your life that wasn't serving you you're just like Oh, you don't my miss God, it. I could breathe. Yeah, you don't miss it. That's telling when you don't miss them. Yeah, and just that, you know what? How come it was a one-way street? How yeah. come, I, right, I wasn't getting anything and I was giving everything? And that's just the boundaries just were kind of mixed up and, and yeah. not aligned. And I think these are just things that we learn, you know, as women getting older and experiencing life and trying to figure out who really is best suited in our lives and, and who really isn't. Well, we were talking about Geraldine Lawrence because I interviewed her last week, I think it was, and she had said something during her interview. She said, I'd rather have four quarters than 100 pennies. Yeah, love that saying. Yeah. Totally, but that's true. And look, we come from the same town, Wayne, New Jersey, and um, I, I, you know, I support her and her endeavor as a business owner and opening up her own firm and, and having that courage to do it it's really it's it's not easy and uh, i think we should all be supporting each other in that regard and um i i think that you learn in business and in your personal life that not everyone you start with you end up with it's true and it's okay yeah yeah it is okay i think people come into your life for a reason and sometimes they're meant to be there forever and sometimes they're not sometimes they're Uh meant to be there for a very short time yeah and 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 i'm okay with that you know i always i I wasn't always okay with it um because you also care about what people think and you have all these concerns and i just go like listen i'm too tired i can't feelings yeah i like to sleep like i'm not gonna worry about this and that i'm always gonna try to do the right thing and and stay integral and, and try to say nice things But at the end of the day, if somebody's not nice to you, they shouldn't be in your space. Or if they're not making you feel good. You know, I think that's something I think about more now is what am I getting out of this? Right. And if you're not feeling good, like if somebody's making you feel bad about yourself. Yes. I mean, that is just absurd insanity. I mean, you want people. I mean, that. (laughs) why would they even be around? But people take liberties and they like say and do things for whatever reason and the way they're feeling. And it's just like, are you? I'm shocked by certain people's behavior. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I kind of relate it to people that are thinking about getting a divorce. Sometimes you think, well, gosh, we've been together so long and we have this history together. And but then there comes a point at which I'm not advocating that everybody run off and get divorced, you know, because they had a bad day. But there does come a time where in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a marriage, whatever, sometimes a business relationship where you really have to look at it like maybe it's time for this relationship to be over and it doesn't get to hang around just because it's old right and some people do that for a whole host of reasons right financial emotional uh, children and i think you you have to get into therapy or have a coach <clears throat> or talk to somebody um in your religious sphere to say i'm not happy is it me or is it the other person and if it can't be fixed and i don't want it to be fixed it's okay to move on we only get one shot at this yeah and when people are in their 50s they're like oh my god i'm never gonna meet anyone i'm like are you kidding me this is like your new lease on life yeah if it's not gonna work take it from a positive perspective don't be so negative about it it's not easy but this is your new opportunity your next chapter to find true love and and make it right and make yourself happy you know what what's wrong with being alone though 
Oh, I, I always tell people, don't jump into another relationship. Get to know yourself and heal what's gone wrong and then love it. I mean, I love to be alone, like just in life. Yeah. I just am never alone. My daughter, you know, just jumps in the shower with me and like everywhere I go, my you know, everyone's around me, my dog, my husband, and I love them. But I think alone time is so nurturing. It's so healthy. And I feel like people are codependent for the wrong yes. reasons. So any woman that can tell me that they are not dating and they're working on themselves and traveling and eating and doing whatever they want to do, exercising, kudos. I think it's an amazing thing Not that doesn't define you. I do too. And I have noticed there are, there's sort of like this movement of women that don't have a boyfriend and maybe they, there's no girlfriends for them to travel with and they're just doing it on their own. They're just going out there and traveling on their own. I have a good friend that just booked a two week trip to Hawaii by herself amazing and i was i was blown away i was so impressed like that's what you should do why do you have to wait around for someone else who made the rules right i I always question that and that's part of my existence because everyone says focus on one thing and right don't don't do too many things that's maybe everyone else's kind of uh capability level it's just not mine i just i'm looking for more but that's me right and so i have down the downside of it is not as much time as I would like you know to travel or whatever but that doesn't mean it's not working you know for you it doesn't work for me so I think being alone and doing charity work and giving back and not defining yourself in a relationship or in a marriage because most people are not happy yeah I think that's true so why would you do it just live your life on your terms not how people define it or think you should live it and um, I think when you do that, you're free. Absolutely, yeah. When you don't care what other people think, you're free. What, anyone that can get there, I am on my way. It's taken a long time. It is a weight lifted. It is like you can run a marathon. You have no restrictions. And it's just your, your divine life. Because you're never going to please everybody. <laughs> Like you figured that out. Yeah. (laughs) So so if you do care what everyone else thinks, you're destined to just be unhappy because you're never going. There's never you're never going to impress everyone. There's always going to be somebody that's not impressed. Ways that you can wave that flag. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And you know what? Who are you? Who are you trying to prove it to yourself or everyone else? And I think I've always cared what people thought. I always wanted to please them. And at the end of the day, it's really, a, you know, about pleasing yourself, the people that you love and, and whatever, you know, God you look up to, because if you do the right thing, I think you're always going to be rewarded. I think that we all care to some degree. I think as young women, we care a lot more. But I think as you evolve and you mature, you start to care much less. Mm-hmm. I've heard this saying before. Um, hopefully I say it correctly. I think when you're in your 30s you're so preoccupied that you know everybody's watching you you're worried about what everyone thinks and then in your 40s you just don't care anymore but then in your 50s you realize nobody was ever thinking about you in the first place (laughs) you wasted all that time (laughs) worrying because they're busy thinking about themselves really right right Uh, i i get that and i think that's true and i think young women who are aspiring to be something they should just focus on their goals and not really worry about what other people are saying or doing because they're coming from their own experience and not everybody can see your vision and and where you're headed 
lightheaded. And I think that's something that I try to teach my daughter even at a young age. Yeah. I think something else that I've gotten more mindful of and more comfortable with is something that you touched on earlier. You said that when you see a problem, rather than running from it, you're like running to it to try to resolve it. And I think a lot of people just avoid communicating. It's uncomfortable to have the uncomfortable Mm -hmm. conversation, right? To tell somebody that I'm you're not giving me what I need or what I want or you know I'm unhappy with something that you've done we would rather just avoid that conversation because we don't want to tell people that right Mm -hmm. we want to only give them compliments and say nice (laughs) things but you really set yourself up to not get what you want and be heard and you can say it nicely yes I think it's all in the way you use your words and I think people some people are too blunt some people don't say it nicely some people don't know how to say it if you learn the right tools to express yourself that to me is something that takes a lot of hard work but when you master it you can say something that is so offensive in the kindest way and be honest and not offend somebody yeah Yeah. And get it out there and speak your truth. And I think I held back for my whole life because I didn't know how to communicate and I never wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. And then when I figured out a way to actually say something that I meant, but be kind about it and say it in a nice way, it's just it opened up a different world for me. And I don't hold anything in anymore. Yeah. It's like, what am I being toxic to myself for? Because I'm afraid to hurt someone else's feelings. This is this is a little backwards and I'm not going to do it anymore. So I took it upon myself to learn. And, you know, you, I have a co- life coach and um, expert that helped me figure out a way to, to kind of navigate my my words. And, you know, now I'm teaching my daughter and, and I think she's lucky because it took my whole life to figure it out. And now we try to teach her say it if you language it this way and you say it this way you know it's okay to speak your truth but you're not hurting somebody's feelings and and you're also setting yourself up to get what you want or what you need yeah because right? if you don't ask and you don't say it it's not how the, would anyone know what are they coming to ring your doorbell and give you a million dollars you got to go out and get it i hear this so often well shouldn't they just know How on earth would they know? And I hear in the context of relationships, right? Like romantic relationships. Well, you know, how could he not know? Would it tell what he did? Yes, because we're from different worlds. Okay, completely. We're from different planets, and we think differently, and we have different interests. And not saying something doesn't mean we want it versus not. You just have to learn what your partner's cues are, and you have to be able to articulate your feelings, good, bad, or indifferent. And it's something that you have to work on. Yeah, my first question whenever I have a girlfriend who's complaining about a relationship issue or even something with a friend is, well, did you tell them? Mm-hmm. Always the first thing I ask, <laughs> did you tell one. them? And their answer is almost always no. no. <laughs> and they're not mind readers. Okay, that should be the follow-up uh, in the context. They didn't know because you didn't they tell them. They didn't know. They but, didn't know. Right. <laughs> okay, so I, I know we don't have another eight hours to talk about all your businesses because that's how long it would take. <laughs> Tell me about, I guess maybe in chronological order. So you, I, I'm assuming that you kind of, this entertainment world opened up to you when you started getting your TV gigs and then you had your TV show. So what, can you just kind of tell me in order, like how all these doors opened for you? 
Yeah, so it was uh, from the Fox News. My first TV hit started to get into different cable networks. So from Fox News to, you know, HLN to CNN to documentaries, I did 30 for 30 Broke, which I I think was one of the uh, most watched documentaries ever done. I think like 450 million people saw it. Um, and then from there, just, hey, Vicky's a great expert, recommend her here, Dr. Oz, and to do all these different shows and fly all over, you know, Paul Harvey, uh, sorry, Steve Harvey, um, go to Chicago and uh, just have some really cool opportunities. So I was doing that for years, and then the TV show Untying the Knot happened. That was 12, 13, 14, was it 15? So it's been now five, year, five years since the show aired the second season, and then I've been doing my TV hits, and then um, now in the works uh, for um, a new show, another TV show, and uh, production side of a scripted TV show that I wrote. Can you give me any information about it? Yeah, it's really, you know, it's kind of um, a riff on my life. Sasha Green is a divorce attorney in New York City looking for love through the eyes of her clients. And really the trials and tribulations from a divorce attorney's perspective of what goes on with clients and and really how her relationships um, are created and that juxtaposition. So it's it's a cool scripted kind of romantic comedy that uh, is a movie that is a TV show and is a book. And we're now in just trying to figure out the best platform. I feel like Sarah Jessica Parker has to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I know we're talking to some really fun, awesome, cool, amazing role models right now. And um, it's something I've had um, uh, in the works for like 10 years. So this oh, is wow. not like something that happened overnight. People always say to me like, oh, my God, and you can't give up ever. And I've just been holding it and I've been redoing it and redoing it. And now I may be redoing it kind of again. But I think that... Um, it's something that people would really love to watch. So was this just a concept that you came up with or did it did you write a book first and then you are you writing the script? Yeah, I did all yeah, I did all three. I've hired people along the way to help me properly put the script and format um, the book. I would always just take a stab and just do it myself. And then I'd realize it wasn't really done so well. Um, but it's always here in my brain. It's never everything I create is from scratch. Um, never copied. I'm just I, I like to create and I like to think of new, fresh ideas and then take iterations from it. So I'm always creating. So I have about 25 TV shows right now that um, I've been holding on to and uh, with a production company and teaming up with some really cool people. We'll probably be announcing in a few months. Oh, goody. I can't wait. Yes. So when you say you have TV shows, is this through your own production company? Um, I was in L.A. a few weeks ago and we're in works with a producer, a um, very big producer who wants to do kind of a secondary show from Untying the Knot in the mediation realm. And then a couple other shows on my pro- from my production company. But he's going to run with it because he, he believes he could sell it. Um, so that's really cool and exciting. We're going to film something soon so do you have an agent i mean who oh god so how do you so someone who's just starting out who doesn't know how to navigate the, the entertainment world and i always tell people when you get a divorce you want a lawyer because you want to make sure you're not getting taken advantage of and you're asking for the right things and you know you kind of know what the standards are 
And I think that of most things. So I guess that's my question for you is as you're navigating your way through the entertainment world, which I guess it's not you're not it's not that new to you Mm -hmm. anymore. How do you navigate it? How do you know? It's hard. It's hard. I think not everybody can get an agent right away. And I don't necessarily think an agent is a must for everybody. I think uh, an entertainment attorney is always somebody that needs to look at a contract And I think it's about contacting people, production companies, and learning from the inception, how does the TV industry work? What kind of show are you looking for? What is the platform that would be sold? Because if I do a show and I do a sizzle reel for um, a cable network, it's not going to be the same as a Netflix show, right, or a streaming show. So you have to really understand who your audience is and what's selling. So getting to know production companies and meeting them and interviewing them, having a friend, somebody that knows the business to try to introduce you to people. So it's always the agent it's an attorney an entertainment attorney or a production company that you would be joining forces with and I was just lucky along the way to meet so many awesome people and as an attorney not an expert in entertainment law I kind of figured out how to read a contract and then ask questions and then I would hire people so I navigated a little differently than most but um, anyone can do it you <laughs> look I'm prime example I had no clue what I was doing and I wasn't looking for it yeah, you weren't. It just kind of happens. But now I'm looking. For, now I'm going full steam uh, ahead. See, that's that's the problem with me. Once I understand, I understand from the TV aspect as a host. I understand from the production side and the back end. I understand how to create a show. Now it's full on. I'm trying to do what I think hasn't been done before. And sometimes that's a lot of work. And it's kind of like the Goliath. You're going up a mountain but you know if you believe in something and think people people that loved untying the knot want it back and people wanted to hear about how to problem solve when they're thinking about divorce it's time to keep perpetuating this concept and not give up yeah so it sounds like you definitely have a vision what's the vision will you share it with me i mean i think the dream for me is to have all of the topics that i love to talk about in on one platform and it's prenups and it's mediation and it's divorce and it's dating and it's everything you're gonna have your own talk show (laughs) aren't you that you know i have always said that that is something that i would really like to do one day um and i'm okay with you know having co-hosts i don't need it doesn't have to be i'm available Uh, i think you're fantastic (laughs) uh no doubt um but i think what people are missing you know today the singular host is kind of outdated even though they're bringing some of them back a lot of it's panel driven and i just think that some they haven't done too much in the way of a panel driven family related talk show slash courtroom slash mediation show that i think i vision envision and some of the team that i'm working with now envisions as well i think that's great because i can't think of anything right now that satisfies that no anywhere radio podcasting it's just not out there there's really no one in the lane television yeah. so you know we talk about You're the creating lane, lane. And, uh, yeah I, I i hope so i hope so and if it's not me and it's another expert that does what i do i'm fine with that too you know i really i think we can all share in the success i look for great talent also because of now with my production company if i see someone that i think is fantastic i want to create a show around them um because I, I have that production side vision now so for me it's like listen trust me huh while i love tv and i like to be on camera it's exhausting and you got to look good all the time so i have no problem with anyone else sharing the stage because um it gives me some more free time 
Yeah. So I'm cool with that. Do you think there will ever come a time when you back out of the law firm and spend more time on the production? I don't know. I have to get tissues out for the, everyone that's listening from my firm because um, <laughs> I feel like I owe it to them to be here and kind of keep the this train kind of going at a fast speed. Um, I don't know where I'm really ever headed, quite frankly. I just don't know if I could if I stopped practicing law. I, I don't know. I, it would be strange to me. Because it's really what I breathe. It's what I dream of. It's creating these strategies for clients. It's what I really love to do and know all of the facts of their case and direct it. Um, but you know what? If, you know, some big TV shows hit and I have to kind of maybe work a little less here, there's some fabulous people that could take over. So imagine yourself as a little old lady. <laughs> Look back on your life. What did you do? What are like the major accomplishments because some of them might not have happened yet, right? Mm, yeah, for well, sure. Definitely, because you're not done yet. No, I'm just getting started. So what's the little old lady looking back on? I love that question. Um, I created, uh, hopefully, a beautiful, amazing child, adult who is serving humanity and um, is, is going through life with love. I think that's that's important for me. And I think helping people, making a mark in their lives, that they remember me, that, hey, I helped you. And that for me, not in the divorce world, in any aspect of my life, I try to be altruistic and help people. Um, and that I created empires. I feel like my brands that I'm in the process of creating are going to be big. And I think a legacy for the law firm with my name, you know, was something I never even envisioned doing. And I think keeping this firm and making it one of the best law firms in the state of New Jersey is humbling and crazy, and I could probably start crying right now about it, but it, it, it's been done, and I think the lawyers here are a testament to really awesome, kick-butt, you know, tireless work, and probably, hopefully, a network or two with a lot of TV shows that I've been involved with, and just to be in love with my husband and have a really healthy relationship, because damn if I don't know what it looks like by now with all the people I've <laughs> helped I have a problem <laughs> um and yeah and just you know that um I made a mark no yeah, well I think you've already made a mark <laughs> so it sounds like you're making more marks I like how you said empires plural yeah yeah you're getting to know me <laughs> it's not just one I have several and hopefully my daughter could run something I don't want to hand it to her but she's gonna have to work oh for yeah it. well we'll see what she wants to do right she's probably gonna be a tough woman that knows what she wants she's probably going to be much tougher than i am well she has to be because you're her mom yeah i'm so, a little afraid of her but um i have four and a half but <laughs> she's tough yeah wow yeah well i think you see their personality pretty young you see that coming through you can tell if they're really shy and reserved or if they're you oh, know yeah. a go-getter and leader outgoing. she's a leader yeah yeah she's a she was born a leader she knows what she wants um i didn't know initially I had to figure it out and navigate it. Yeah. There's so much I could talk to you about, and I thank you so much for your time. I do end every show with a series of five questions. It's always the same. What was the best business advice that you ever got? Oh, wow. Um, for sure, keep your debt low. Manage everything. Don't be lazy. Okay. I wish I would have talked to you a few years ago. <laughs> But it's not too late. I can fix yes. some of that. Um, what was the best uh, life advice that you ever got? Every dark cloud has a silver lining. 
Wow. How are you coming up with these so fast? <laughs> I believe it. I live it. I live it. I work hard at what I do. <laughs> I thought I was going to spring this on you and you were going to be like, hmm, I have to think about that. No. What person do you most admire and why? Mother Teresa. Unconditionally giving back. I have a friend that knew her and wow. met her and has a piece of her. I think it was like a robe. And uh, he told me that what he witnessed was just the most selfless female per person that he's ever met. And, you know, you read about some of the things that she did. And I think to not care about monetary things and just literally help everyone in need, that to me is the most authentic thing you could do. I am in such awe of someone, people like her, that are so in, completely selfless. Because yeah. even when I, even at my very best, I don't <laughs> even come close. Me either. Yeah, I would. That's one thing I wish I could do a little better. I'll work on that. Put it on your to-do list. Yes, 2020. <laughs> well, I think you sort of answered this earlier. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh my God, um, that you are amazing and you are worthy. Yeah, that's I, you know I hear something similar from all the women that I've interviewed, and mm. it's. It's interesting. I don't want to say sad. It's kind of it's interesting that that's the experience that women have mm -hmm. is just lacking in confidence in their 20s. It makes me just want to go out there and yep. find all the 20 Plop year olds them up and tell and them you're amazing. Them. Yes. <laughs> you know, we should do that. Right. But yes. it's the moms. Right. Moms like you that are that oh, are doing that with your. Oh, I'm telling her every day she is fire. You know, we probably did hear it, right? People said that to us, but... No, I wasn't. No, really? no one said that to me, but that's okay. Oh, that's all right. I, that's okay. Well, I didn't hear, <laughs> I didn't hear it either. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> You're doing great. Okay, so what would you tell other women who are thinking of starting their own law firm but are afraid? Uh, I think fear is self-created, and there's nothing to ever be afraid of because failure teaches you how to be successful, and that... Put a plan together, be strategic, get help, ask for help, get experts, and make sure that you have tried to, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's, and go for it. All excellent advice. Oh, thank you. Oprah actually says failure is just the universe pushing you in another direction. Yeah, I don't, failure is, is not even a term that... I care to even utter because I have had so many failures and so many things that didn't succeed but taught me how to prepare for the successes that I'm grateful for them. So to me, it's just not even it's not even a big deal. Those F, the failure, the fear. It's like, what? What are yeah. you afraid? I'm, I don't want to die. It's about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to die. You'll be okay. It's not a failure. You'll be okay. Right? Yeah, there's just no such thing. It's like something that just didn't work. Okay, now I have to try it different or I have to do something I, different. Because our ego bruises. And I think when you kind of just like shelf what people think, it's like just pivot and shift and try again. That's exactly right. I have a coach who always says that, that you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of what people will think. Mm-hmm. Bring it on. Yeah. So on that note, bring it on. We're going <laughs> to leave with that. Thank you so much. I found this very enlightening, and I know that a lot of other women will, too. Oh, thank you so much for mm -hmm. having me. You're amazing. Thank you.